Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 5. There's so many different ways we could sort of introduce this passage today, but I think I'm going to do it in this way. We've already talked for weeks about who the recipients of this letter are. They are, they are Christians, first century Christians who are really struggling in their walk. Um, life is getting the better of them. Uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil, those forces that are constantly opposing us as, as you know, children of God are getting the better of them. Their struggle against sin that uh, the author even talks about uh, in verse 5 and 4, uh, that's getting the better of them. And so he's trying to remind them of, of some things that he thinks, if, if they realize this once again, that they won't be so discouraged and filled with despair and they'll sort of be willing to get back on the spiritual treadmill. And you understand why I use that term in a, in a little while. And to get back on the spiritual treadmill and keep on going through the training that God has for all of us. Because you'll notice here as we begin this, in verse 5, here's what the author says at the beginning of this passage of Scripture. He says, and have you forgotten the exhortation addressed to you as sons? And we could also obviously say daughters. In other words, he's saying, have we forgotten as Christians who we are in relationship to God after salvation in our life? And do we really understand what that means? Because in his mind, he's thinking that part of their struggle is that many Christians either don't ever understand this or grasp this concept, or they have in this case forgotten it. And the word forgotten here means to willfully neglect or disregard something that we know. So in other words, it's not like they didn't know it, but it wasn't something that they were keeping focused on. They sort of let it go. And the author's saying, oh, don't ever let this concept go. Don't ever let this principle go. Because it is one of the key principles that keeps us on track spiritually, doesn't get us sideways, and keeps us moving forward and progressing in our spiritual life. And that concept is we cannot ever forget. That when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, when we become a Christian and place our faith in God, that that totally changes the dynamic of now who we are with God, you see. And part of that change is now He becomes our Heavenly Father. Which means we then become the children of God. We become sons and daughters of God. And God now, as we are His children, is going to treat us differently because He loves us than He would those that are not His children. And this is what the author is going to start teaching about in this great passage of Scripture. 
Let me say this. I think that this passage of Scripture is not only needed for every individual Christian today to apply to our own lives, but this passage of Scripture, folks, is a great model for parents and grandparents and anyone who has influence in young people's lives for this reason. Many parents, as generations go by, neglect what the Bible says about how to parent children. And the greatest model and example for us of how we should deal with our own children is how God, our Father, deals with us, His spiritual offspring, His spiritual children. And when you and I neglect what the Bible says and we don't follow God's example, our children later on will cause us much pain because we didn't, we were not willing as parents to put them through pain in their training and nurturing and correction and discipline. And so it's going to show up later on. And you and I are even living in a country And we are living in a world where every successive generation that goes by, we are paying the price for undisciplined children that grow up and become undisciplined adults in our society. Simply because, even as Christians, we're not listening to what God says. With that, notice what he goes on then to say... In verse 6. Or excuse me. I want to continue on in verse 5. He says my son. Again he could say my daughter. My spiritual children. Do not scorn the Lord's discipline. The word scorn means. Don't make light of. Don't have little regard for. God's discipline. In our lives. The word discipline here means God's training and correction of his own children. See, God says, now that you're my child, oh my, I am now going to start putting you into a child-rearing program for my spiritual children. I need to train you up because you don't know how to be spiritual It's something that needs to be instilled in you over your lifetime of walking with me. So I'm going to start you on this training and and discipline program. I need to build discipline into your lives. By the way, one of the key understandings of even the word discipline is within that word is obviously the word disciple. Something I've been talking about throughout my blog This whole year, what it means to be a disciple, a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And a disciple is a disciplined person. One who is disciplined in their life and who is devoted to certain things. That's what a disciple is. And that comes from the discipline that God wants to instill in us. Now again, something that either we never have heard or we fail to remember is that when we become a Christian, our lives are now not our own. Many Christians are like, I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. Thank you, God, for forgiving me of my sins. Thank you, God, that I'm on my way to heaven. But now the rest of my life is mine. And I'm going to live it the way I want to. 
The problem with that is, the Bible says, oh, no, no, wait a minute. Paul says to the Corinthians, you, we, as Christians, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we have Him living within us And then Paul says at the very end of 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 19, you or we are not our own. Because we've been bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. So somehow we as Christians have to get out of this mindset that when I accept Christ, I get this wonderful benefit of salvation, but my life is still mine. That's not biblical. When you and I become a son or daughter of God, we, if we understand salvation correctly, which can I say this? Why do not many Christians understand salvation correctly? Because they're not taught the Bible anymore. And there's, so there's sort of two problems there. The people of God are not really clamoring to have the Bible taught to them. And then there's the responsibility of those of us who are called to teach the Word who aren't doing it anymore. And so people don't even know what the Word says about stuff like this. They think, I can accept Jesus as my Savior and then I can live my life however I want to. And guys go, whoa, 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 whoa. If you become a son or daughter of mine, Yes, you have the wonderful benefit of having your sins forgiven and you are on your way to heaven and you have the Holy Spirit living within you and you're now part of the body of Christ, the church, and all of those things. But your life's not your own anymore. You're mine. I'm now your daddy. And as your spiritual daddy, I'm going to start training you. I'm going to start correcting you. I'm going to start disciplining you. Because you're now a reflection of me. And I want my character to start coming out and flowing out of your life. And that doesn't happen automatically, just like it doesn't anything happen automatically in our lives. We have to train for it. So God is saying to all of His children, come into my training program and enter into my training regimen. See, that's one of the reasons that we're going to see why the Hebrews here... We're ready to give up, throw in the towel, and quit. Because life was getting hard and it was getting the best of them. And they had failed for a while now to cooperate with God's training in their life. They had failed as Christians to to understand. They had forgotten that they were sons and daughters and that their life wasn't theirs. And they had failed along the way to comply with God's discipline in their life. And when you and I as Christians fail to enter into, in a sense, God's gymnasium, and we fail to be trained, life is going to get the better of us. Sin is going to win, not us over sin. The world, the flesh, and the devil that we, you know, oppose us, they're going to, they're going to win and we're going to be defeated. Because God understands, if you want to be an overcomer, you want to experience abundant life, You want to experience all that life can be with me? You've got to comply and cooperate with my training and correction and discipline in your life. So the author says, stop scorning God's discipline. It's huge. It's a big thing. Without it, we won't run the race that we talked about last week. We won't finish the course like Paul. 
We will drop out because this life is a marathon. And I think sometimes even as Christians, we fail to respect how hard life is going to be. Somehow we think, you know what? Life's not going to be that hard. I can just sail through however long I'm here, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years. Life is hard. We forget we live in a fallen world with fallen people, including us. And therefore, we're going to run into all kinds of stuff throughout the years. And God says to us then, if you want to be prepared for it, if you want to be able to, to survive it and navigate it and even let thrive in life and not just endure life, then you need to enter into my training. It's the only way we're going to make it. It's just as crazy a notion as any of us saying, you know what, I know that uh, the P.F. Chang Marathon here in Phoenix is coming up in January, and uh, I'm just going to go out that morning without ever training for it, and I'm going to try to run 26.2 miles. How far do you think you and I would get? I'll tell you how far I'll get. Maybe a block. The only way we can get through that kind of a grueling course is to be willing to train for it. And that's what the author's saying. You're not training anymore. You're, you're scorning what the Lord is trying to do in your life. You're, you're, you're wrestling against God rather than cooperating with God because you don't want to go through the pain. The problem is, and this is a phrase that you and I have heard for a long time now, no pain, no gain. And guess what? That's not just true in the physical world where if we want to, you know, lose some weight, get into shape, tone up and stuff, we've got to be willing to go through some pain. The same thing is true spiritually. That's what he's talking about. People today, Christians, want to be in spiritual shape and be very fit so that they can handle life, but they don't want to go through the pain of the training and all of that to get them there. And the author is saying it can't be that way, you see. So he goes on to say this. My son, do not scorn the Lord's discipline or give up. Become despondent or discouraged when he corrects you. When he brings to light in our life the things that are wrong that need corrected. God points something out, you know, how... Oh God, I just, I struggle with that. I'm just never going to get over it. I just, this is just the way I am. It's the way I was born. It's the way I was made. I know that, that you're pointing this out, but I'm just throwing up my hands and giving up. It's just the way it's always going to be with me. The author says, no, that's not a proper response. The reason why God is pointing out these things is because he's pointing them out so that out of his love, we can see it as well. That's something that needs to be corrected so that we can give it attention so that we are willing to enter into his training and correction. And guess what? Overcome it and not just deal with the symptoms of things, but get to the root of the problem and actually overcome it and find victory in our life. But see, again, we live in a world even in, in the way we do things physically and attack things spiritually, where we just want somebody to give us something that helps us cope with the symptoms. That's why we live in such a, a drug-addicted society. And I'm not just talking about illegal drugs. I'm talking about legal drugs. We have become a world of pills. 
Because we don't really, for the most part, want to attack the things that's actually causing the problem. We just want to have something to help us cope with the symptoms of the issues. And God is saying, no, 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 no. My life in you can be so much better than that. You don't have to live with just coping with the symptoms. If you enter into my training and correction, allow me to show you the things that you need to work on, and you start working on it with my spirit inside of you, my word, my body of believers around you, you can overcome it and then not even have to deal with it anymore and move on. So he says in verse 6, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Again here, the word discipline means he strictly trains us. Because he loves us. See, God is saying, it's not loving to not have children go through real training and discipline and correction. That's not love. Because God says, I enter you into this because I love you. Because if I don't put you through this, if I don't allow sometimes pain, and I don't even bring certain things into your life, you will never grow, you will never mature, you will never be strong enough or have the spiritual stamina to deal with the things that I know life is bringing to you. And you will get to a point where you will be a discouraged, defeated Christian who allows life to get the better of you, who allows your struggle against sin to just wash over you and you just give up on that. You never experience my abundant life. You let all the forces against you, like the world, the flesh, and the devil, again, have the advantage. God says, no, I love you too much. I want to see you become all that I created you to be. I want you to start seeing the potential that I placed within you. And the only way to do that, God says, is to put you into some strict training. And then he says, he chastises every son or daughter that he accepts. It means that he acknowledges as his own. And by the way, the word chastises here means to inflict severe pain. Some of your even Bible translations might even have the word uh, whip, spank, uh, you know, those type of words. Because in the original, that's pretty much what it means. In other words, though that kind of discipline might not be popular or politically correct today, God says, I do it with my kids because I love them. And sometimes in order to get them to stop doing things that are self-destructive, to get them to a place where they're going to experience life as it should be at its highest level, I've got to, as the Heavenly Father, be willing to allow them to go through pain. Well, that's a different philosophy than you see in many people today with their kids and grandchildren, isn't it? I don't want my children to have to deal with pain. So I'm, I'm going to try to shield them from that. Talk to me about 15, 20 years from now. See if that was a good choice as a parent or a grandparent. It's like even in our children's ministry, in our youth ministry. 
As the pastor, I'm not really concerned primarily about entertaining these kids over there and making sure they have fun all the time. I want to make sure that these children are prepared to meet God one day and have a relationship with Him and thrive spiritually in this life. That's why we're going to have maybe a little bit of a different children's ministry and youth ministry than many churches do today. Because it's not just going to be fun and games. They'll have fun. They'll enjoy it to a point. But there's going to be some times where it's just, it's not going to be fun. But it's the right thing to do. Because that's the way God deals with us, his children. Notice then, in verse 7, he says, endure your suffering as discipline. The word endure means stick with it. Yes, there is pain involved with training, but think about what it's building. Now again, we can certainly then parallel this with physical training, right? You know, we all around the new year make those New Year's resolutions. I'm going to lose weight this year. I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to tone up and all this stuff. And we start training and man, the pain starts coming. And after the pain gets, you know, so intense and we start exercising for a couple days and then we can't even get out of bed because we're like, oh my goodness, there's places in my body that are hurting. I didn't even know I had something there, you know, and we can't even hardly move and stuff. And so then then there's that, that there's a decisive moment where we're either going to push through and stick with it because we understand that if I just push through this moment, I am going to get to a place in time down the road where it's not going to hurt quite as bad and I'm going to achieve what I want to achieve. But if I stop, if I don't stick with it, then what I've even started to do, it's going to be wiped away. Because if I don't stick with it, then obviously I'm never going to maintain that level of fitness that I want to achieve. I'm just going to stay in that out of shape condition. And that's the why many Christians today are out of shape and spiritually flabby. Because when, when the pain and, and, the, and the, the training and stuff that God wants to put us through, when we start to go through it, it's like, no, I don't, I don't want to. And we run from it. And, and as long as we don't comply and cooperate with what God's trying to do in our life, we're going to remain spiritually unfit and flabby. And not able to deal spiritually with the things that that life is going to bring and the world and the flesh and the devil are going to press us into. So that's why he says, just as we need to physically, we need to stick with God's training program. As much as it hurts, as much as it brings pain, it's also going to bring us great gain. He says again, remember, God is treating you as sons. As daughters, we are now his children. We carry his name. And he wants us to begin to reflect his nature and his character. And the only way that we as children of God will be able to do that convincingly, consistently, is to cooperate with God's training and discipline and correction in our life. Notice he says, What son is there that a father does not discipline? From God's perspective, 
A, a parent that's not willing to train and correct and discipline their children, that's foreign to God. And in a sense, God is saying, isn't that one of the primary responsibilities of parents? That we should be truly involved in the training, correction, and discipline of our children constantly? And yet, down through the years, can I tell you that many even Christian parents don't take that responsibility seriously or upon themselves? They divvy out that responsibility to schools to churches, to youth ministries, to youth pastors, and say, there, my children are your responsibility. You, you shape them up. Well, not that all of those pieces can't be a part of, a, of it, but God's going to hold us as parents primarily responsible for the training, correction, and discipline of our children. We can't pass that primary responsibility off to other people. Because God says, I don't do that. You're my child, I take responsibility for it, not you. And then he says, if you do not experience discipline, listen to this, this is important, folks. Very important. He says, if you as a human being are not experiencing God's discipline in your life, something that all sons have shared in, then you are illegitimate and you're not even a son. In other words, a person can claim to be a child of God. But the Bible says very clearly, an authentic, true, genuine son or daughter of God is going to have discipline in their life coming from God. A child that is undisciplined, from God's perspective, is not a child at all. If you, if you and I do not have God's discipline in our life, then we, we can claim to be a child of God, but we're really not. Because God will bring discipline into every son and daughter spiritually that he has in his life. It's that important to God. And he wants this to be that important to us. To see how necessary, how essential this is in our lives. Or else he says, we're going to get to the place like the Hebrews who did not comply or cooperate with God's discipline and training in their life. And now they've gotten to a point where they're halfway through the marathon and they're ready to give up. Maybe you don't feel the same way that I do. But I look back on my life, and not even talking about spiritual now, talking about secular. The teachers that I still remember to this day, the coaches that I still remember to this day, were the ones that were hardest on me. The ones that pushed me. The ones that didn't allow me to quit, or lay down, or slack. Those were the ones that had the greatest influence on me. Still do to this day. Part of my discipline of studying the Bible the way I do for hours a day was instilled by people that weren't willing to, for me to go, I, I just quit, it's just too hard. No. And we have to remember that as well. That's why this church... If, 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 if you're looking for a church where, again, you're not challenged and every week, you know, it's like, hey, you're doing the best you can. Don't worry about it. Just, just keep sliding for home. You know, 
then yeah, we're probably not the church for you. Because this church is going to be about getting us into the Word of God, finding out what God's Word really says for our own benefit. So that you and I, instead of trying to flop through life and just make the best of it and endure it, can actually begin to experience God's abundant life and thrive and rise above the circumstances of life and get to a place where we are strong enough and have enough spiritual stamina to handle anything that this world and this life is going to bring us. That's the kind of life God envisions for his children. And that's the kind of life that I, as the pastor, want to make sure that all of us understand from God's word as well. Then he says in verse 9, Besides this, we have experienced discipline from our earthly fathers, and we respected them, right? Now again, what he's saying is, look, we had constructive correction in order to train us from our earthly parents, The word respect might be an unfortunate English translation because what it really means is that when our parents did choose to discipline us, they had our full attention. We were locked in. We were riveted. And oh, I can remember that. I can remember as a child just willfully doing what I knew my parents told me not to do. And then the discipline came. And even though up to that point, I was just blowing off what my parents said, oh boy, I had, they had my full attention then. Sometimes God has to bring things into our life because we just sort of disregard him and slough him off and he has to get our attention. And do we have to be reminded that when God, the God of the universe, wants to get our attention bad enough? Oh, he will. But most of the time when it ends up getting to that place, it's not very pleasant for us. Because again, God loves us too much that he has to to get us to see certain things so that we can begin to truly thrive. So then he goes on to say this. Shall we then not submit ourselves, subject ourselves, obey all the more the father of our spirits and receive life? If we were willing to, even under duress, subject ourselves to earthly parents who obviously are not perfect and we make mistakes and we do. No matter what our intentions as earthly parents, we will make mistakes But our Heavenly Father never makes a mistake. Therefore, should we not submit ourselves to whatever discipline and correction and training He wants? Because God doesn't make mistakes. Whatever pain that He allows or whatever training He brings into our life, it will always be the exact right amount to bring out of us what needs to be brought out. And maybe even to finally overcome what needs to finally be overcome in our life. And I love this when it says, and receive life, it means to come alive. It's sort of like the picture that they use of of a flower that finally blooms and blossoms. It's like, wow. 
it was all closed up. You couldn't really see the beauty of it. But, but now it's opened up. It's come alive and you can see it. That's what God wants our lives to be. But so often, because we're as Christians, as sons and daughters of God, not willing to cooperate or comply with God's discipline in our life, we stay that closed flower and we never really come alive. Because the only way you and I will come alive is to submit to God's discipline in our life. And so he says in verse 10, For they disciplined us, speaking of our earthly parents, for a little while as it seemed good to them. But he does so for our benefit, our spiritual advancement. And don't miss verse 10, the rest of it. This may be the most important thing of the whole passage. Why does God do this? So that we may share in his holiness. There's a purpose for everything. And God is saying to us, are there times where you're going to go through pain because of your training and correction and discipline? Absolutely. No pain, no gain. But know this, everything that I'm putting you through as your heavenly father, here's the purpose for it. When you became a child of mine, your life was no longer your own. You're mine. And therefore, my goal in your life is for you to begin to display my distinct character in your life. To be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. To begin to have the character of God built in and infused into us. That's the goal. And see, there are even many Christians that they don't, they don't grasp that. For them, the goal of salvation is my sins are forgiven and i am got a ticket to heaven. No, 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 no. The goal of salvation is that we might become partakers and portrayers of the holiness of God. That's why Peter says to God's people, be holy, God says, for I'm holy. It doesn't mean perfect. It means that you and I, though, begin in our lifestyle, in the way we talk to others, in the way we act towards others, in the way we respond towards others, in the way our manner of life is throughout life, that we become as Jesus would be. That our speech would be what Jesus' speech would be. That our actions would be like Jesus. That our responses would be like Jesus. That's what it means to be a child of God. See, like, we love it as earthly parents whenever we see the good things in us come out in our kids. And, of course, I take all credit for any good that you see in Stephen and Beth. All the bad stuff, you know where it came from, right? Yeah, you know I'm setting myself up, right? You know that's not true. We love it, right? But again, when, when we see something negative in our children, oh, you know, we don't, we don't like that. Well, guess what? God wants to see his children like him. He wants to see him reflected in us. So that when people look at our lives and watch us and go through life, that, that person reminds me of Jesus. That's what it means to be a partaker of holiness. 
This was the whole consuming passion of the Apostle Paul. Why did Paul live his life the way he did? Planting churches and building up the saints of God? Because Paul said to the Galatians, I am in pain as if I am birthing my own child until Christ be formed in you. Galatians 4.19 Paul says, here's my desire for every spiritual child that Christ be formed in you, be fashioned in you, be shaped in you. That's that's the goal of, of our salvation. That's what he's talking about here. That's what it means to be a partaker of his holiness. And again, the only way that's going to happen is to go through God's training and correction and discipline in our lives. It's not going to come natural to us. No way. So then he goes on to say this. Now, all discipline seems painful at the time. Hello. Now, that was it. That is pretty obvious. We all know that. Any training and correction and discipline that you and I go through, it's painful. It's grueling. But notice he goes on to say this. But later, in time, if you and I stick with it long enough, guess what? It pays off. And that's exactly what it's saying here. He's saying in time, if you and I don't give up and we stay on that spiritual training mill and we stay on God's training program, it's going to spiritually pay off in our life. The problem that the author is seeing in the Hebrews and the problem for many of us today is we're not willing to stick with God's training long enough for it to really show up in our life. Because again, it's like we run from anything hard. We run from anything challenging. We run from pain. And so therefore, we never allow God to be able to truly build into us the things that's really going to help us to find victory and be an overcomer in our life. He says, now all discipline seems painful at the time, not joyful, but later it produces the fruit of peace and righteousness for those who are trained by it. Those who stick with the rigorous regimen. Stick with it. Therefore, notice what he says in verse 12. Strengthen your listless hands and your weak knees. I love this picture because I can identify. That's the way some Christians are going through life. They're just, they're just done. There's, there's no strength. There's no stamina because they've not cooperated with God's training and they are so spiritually unfit that they get on that treadmill, that stress test, and they can hardly make it at all. Or they start out on that marathon spiritually and they just can't make it. They start huffing and puffing and I've got no breath and I've got no wind because I haven't built up any spiritual strength and stamina in my life because I've been taking it easy spiritually. And I haven't been willing to get on God's treadmill and get involved in God's training program. And I am so out of shape. And I'm, I'm paying for it. Because now life is just running me over and the world and the flesh and the devil are getting the better of me. And sin is just dominating my life because I got nothing. Because I'm not in shape. I remember when I played basketball, 
We would have a two and a half hour practice and then our coach had the audacity to ask us to all line up at the end line of the basketball court. Now, back in my day, I don't know what they're called now. You'll, some of you will probably tell me this later. But back in my day, way back when dinosaurs roamed the earth, they were called separators. And you would start at the end line and you would run up to the foul line and then back to the end line. Then you would run up to half court and back to the end line. Then three quarters court, back to the end line. And then all the way to the court and then back to the end line. And you had to do that in under 25 seconds. After a two and a half hour practice, you had to do it all again. And you had to do 10 of them under 25 seconds. But you know what? Again, I, I hated it. I didn't hate my coach, but I hated those separators. And I knew they were coming every day. But can I tell you, in the fourth quarter of a basketball game, when our opponent was dragging and couldn't even get up the court, we were running by him. Because we were willing to put in the hard work and train. And was it painful? Yeah. But it got us in superior shape over many of our opponents. So verse 13 says, here's what we need to do then. Based upon everything that he says, is it not now up to us as the sons and daughters of God to make straight paths for your feet? He's saying, isn't it time based upon what we have just talked about that you and I set a clear course of action? What action steps are we now going to take based upon this passage of scripture? Because he says, isn't it time... That what is lame may not be continually put out of joint, but be healed. He's, he's drawing us a great picture here. He's saying, when you and I are, are unhealthy or out of shape or weak or whatever, he says, we can start to experience a limp. Our, our knees or our ankles or something begins to hurt and we can't fully function at the highest level. And what happens then is this. Again, then that's a defining moment. Do I stop and strengthen that which is causing me to limp or not function at full strength? Or do I keep on pushing through? And the problem when we just push through and try to ignore it and pretend it's not there is then we compensate for this defect over here. And then that causes other problems with my hip or something else because I throw something else out of joint because I'm not focused on healing this. And the author is saying, isn't it better that we let God heal us and make us whole and make whatever is causing us to spiritually limp through this life, to, to put attention to it and get it strong again and get it functioning at its full capacity and then we'll really be able to get through life. And not just be limping along like many Christians today, but we'll be able to run that race of endurance that the author talked about in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives within us. And we are not our own. We are sons and daughters of God. And God is saying to His sons and daughters, I love you. But that love means I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to correct you. I'm going to train you. I'm going to put you through some pain. Because I want you to experience life at the highest level. I want you to be ready for anything. I want you to be strong. I want you to have the stamina to be able to endure whatever's coming. And I want you to begin to reflect my character in you. 
See, happiness isn't the goal. Our comfort isn't the goal. The goal is to be a partaker of the holiness of God. That's what the goal is for the child of God. Will you join me on this journey? And let's cooperate and comply with God's training program for our life. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And while they're coming, I'm going to close in prayer. Father, we pray today that each one of us, after hearing your word, would be willing to set a clear course of action for our lives. We have been told that if we are truly a legitimate child of yours, a son or daughter, that you will discipline us. In fact, if we are without discipline, then we're really not a true, authentic, genuine son or daughter of God. And yet, God, we also know that our responsibility in this is that we comply and cooperate with the discipline and the training and the things that you want to build into our lives. So, God, may you teach us what that is right now in our life. What, what action step, what clear path for my feet do I need to take to get spiritually fit and in shape and strong and build up that stamina so that I stop allowing life and life circumstances and the world and the flesh and the devil and, and this sin to dominate my life. I got to start getting on top of things. And God, you've told me exactly how I can do it. But God, you're not going to drag us to your gym every day. You're not going to throw us on that treadmill and force us to be there. we got to want it. And so I pray today, God, that as you go after what's best for us, that we'll be willing to reach up and take you by the hand and say, God, I'm, I'm finally willing to enter in to your training and become a strong spiritual believer that reflects Jesus Christ every day. Thank you, God, for loving us so much that that's how you treat your sons and daughters. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.